Hey, Dreamers, I can't believe it. We are so close to Dreamers Podcast existing for three whole years. To celebrate this amazing accomplishment, I have decided to put together a live event here just outside of Philadelphia, May 20th. DreamCon will be an all-day event where you can meet past guests, network with other Dreamers, and play minute-to-minute games to raise money for charity, and of course, so much more. Tickets are on sale now at superjoepardo.com slash dreamcon. I can't wait to see you all there. Hey, Dreamers. My guest today is making his dreams come true by breaking people out of Wall Street Jail. Absolutely love it. In fact, my guest has also sent me three books. Um... If you listen to the show, you know how I, I feel about books. I don't I don't read a whole lot, but I, I do appreciate the sentiment all the same. Dreamers, I'd like to welcome Damian Lupo to the show. Joe, it's awesome to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm pumped to have you, man. It's, as far as uh, breaking people out of Wall Street jail, uh, I'm really interested to find out more about, about that because that's a, definitely one of the more uh, specific dreams that uh i have experienced in in all these years of doing this show so damien why don't you get started by giving some background about yourself yeah so i grew up in alaska and i i was i had this uh, alternative mindset i think really from the beginning even back to when i was like 11 years old i was i was frustrated because i heard this messaging i think a lot of us hear that there's not enough or money doesn't grow on trees and i got pissed off because i wanted to play nintendo games and i was told that there's no money for games so I went out and started a Nintendo business and it was buying and selling games and hiring my parents to run me around. And it was probably that moment where things shifted, where I was definitely not going to do the quote unquote normal track. I was going to do things that were disruptive, that were annoying to the system. And it was always going to have an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial tint that was solving a problem, maybe my problem, maybe somebody else's, but there was always, it was my creative mind. I'm not really good with a paintbrush, but in terms of business and like financial things, I, that's kind of my art. And so I, I spend my time thinking about how to solve things and how to create beauty out of messes. And it just led into a whole slew of things from from insurance and real estate into the, the current business now, which is the, the disruption of, of Wall Street and getting people out of Wall Street jail. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, a pretty, <laughs> pretty awesome, actually, because my background, I and not a lot of people know this, but I, I did uh, a very similar thing on a much shorter term uh, with selling uh, my old video games door to door. That's awesome. Nintendo games specifically. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, unfortunately for me, like I actually kind of at the time later on in life wished that I hadn't been selling some of those games. But hey, live and learn, and, and now I'm old enough to afford them anyway. Well, now <laughs> they're vintage, them. right? They're, they're yeah. all they're, they're on eBay for like massive amounts of money. And same with the G.I. Joe characters and all that stuff. You know, you live and learn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, nostalgia is a powerful thing, man. That's, that's mm-hmm. I think that's what we've learned the most in the last couple of year, years of all these <laughs> movie remakes yep. and reboots. Um, so, okay, so let's, let's talk about the like, – how did you wind up on on helping people break out of the Wall Street jail? And maybe let's start first, I guess, with defining what Wall Street jail is. Okay, so in my mind, Wall Street jail is where most people end up with their money, their retirement, the idea of retirement. People end up with money sitting in mutual funds. They, they have a 401k at work or they invest, whether it's 401k or somewhere else. But typically, that's the, the deal people have. They, they say, okay, I'm supposed to put money in an investment. Their investment, quote unquote, advisor says, put it into a diversified fund or a series of funds. And now you have money for retirement. And if you have $2 million, when you turn 59 and a half or 65, then you're you're good. The problem is you're stuck inside that system. You're literally behind bars and you have no control and you get milked and shanked every year by these fees. And it really just causes a huge problem that you don't realize you have until you're 60 years old, like my parents found out. And it's and it was really it was really painful to watch both of them show up in their in their 60s and realize that what they had bought into, they didn't think it was jail until after they'd spent 30, 40 years inside that system. And they went, wow, this thing really didn't work out like it was pitched. And so they, they ended up pretty much broke. And I don't think they're the only ones. And so it, it hit me pretty hard to see both of them work their, their lives playing by the rules 
and and that system that they trusted in didn't serve them. It really served itself. And so I I thought there's got to be something I can do about helping people get out of that thing, releasing them, giving them choices and power, and and turning the keys over to them so they can let themselves out. So as, when it comes to um, t- like two million dollars to retire, I, I remember sitting in a in a meeting with our 401k financial advisor people or wealth management people or whatever you call them. And, uh, he, he's like, he handed me a piece of paper and he's like, here, you're going to need like 1.5 million or something like that at the time to, to, to retire. And he's like, and if you keep investing in your 401k at this rate, this is where you, you know, you're going to fall way short of that. And I mean, I don't know. I, I guess in my mind, like, I was like retirement. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's not something that it's not that I don't want to retire, but it's, I mean, I guess actually I kind of don't. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I'm doing this show and, and building my platform and, and all of that. But I don't know. Like, cause I, if you, I think if you love what you do, retirement shouldn't really be a thing that you'd want to do. Man, I am on the same page with you, and that is that's one of my 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 shticks that I absolutely go bananas around is people that say, "I can't wait till I retire," or "This is what I'm going to do when I retire," or "This is how much money I need when I retire." I like to hear what guys like you are doing, and you're you're like rejecting the idea, even though it's not super aggressive. You just said what resonates with me, and what I think people should really be thinking about and considering is the idea of retirement was an industrial age idea that the machinery or the human machinery was at basically ready to be put out to pasture. Well, crap, man. I mean, if, if, if you're done, if you're retired, the universe has a message. We're done with you, and it's going to put you out to pasture, and which means you're probably not going to be around very long. It's why the average guy in the United States lasts three years after retiring because you're done. You're not engaged. You're not creating. You're not sharing the best of who you are. So if, if we can just start to disrupt that idea to start with and then go back to the, the financial advisors and, and the million and a half and all that stuff, we can tear apart both of those ideas and give people a new, better idea and a better way of thinking. But the idea of retirement is it's an old idea. And it's, it's crazy, I think, to anchor ourselves our entire lives to the idea that we need to stop doing something so that we can start living at 60 years old. Yeah, I mean, it's not like um, we shouldn't be saving money, right? Like that's right. not that's not what right. we're we're talking about here. If, if you're not mm-hmm. um, p- picking up what we're putting down, but but at the same time, it's like you, you know, being in control of your time and the freedom. You know, sure, it all costs money, but the idea of like I I live around all retirees in my neighborhood, and I mean, for the most part, some of them are doing stuff, but. Yeah. Not really, you know. Right, right. And it's not, and it's not for for being like too old or too uh, decrepit or anything like that. It's just, you know, I I know a lot of people that retired from from working in my family's business because a lot of them were way older than me, and um, in some cases, way way older than me. And you know, a lot of them got those guys like within six months of retiring were like, yeah, I I ended up taking a consulting job or I ended up, you know, doing something working somewhere else doing something else uh because retirement isn't really all all it's uh with it with that commercial you know that com- you know, you've seen that commercial right with like the dominoes and it's like oh if you you know take five bucks out of your pocket and, and you start saving it up and over years and years and years it becomes something yeah, yeah it's it's tough it's tough and, and it's good. You know what that, that message is for? It satisfies our need for security, for that certainty. It's one of the basic six human needs that I, I talk about in, in Reinvented Life, where we need to satisfy those. And the certainty one, and then we have the variety, but the certainty one drives people so much. And you look at all the marketing and, and the media, we see the fear, which is tapping into our reptile brain saying, be afraid. And we go, what do I need to do to be secure? You need to save $5 and you need to not drink your lattes and you need to go there and, and, and hole up. And then when you're 60, everything will be okay. And, and so we go, yeah, that sounds good because I don't want to die. I don't want to be eaten by a saber toothed tiger. And that's kind of like our reptile brain takes over with this messaging and we're not even thinking we're turning into a reptile instead of a human. And it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> it, it is and um actually flipping through your your reinvented uh re, yeah reinvented life or invented relife reinvented life reinvented life uh you know I, I i can appreciate the fact that you have lots of pictures in this book and the fact that the the text is pretty 
pretty large font, which makes it uh, a lot more swallow swallowable. Uh, or, or yeah, I guess swallowable is the word I would go with. Uh, <laughs> because you know, again, for a guy like me who's a slow reader, and and I wrote two books that are uh, short and to the point and have lots of pictures, I, I can I can definitely appreciate that. I like that. I like the. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't think about this at the time. My my first book that I that's a disaster. I actually designed a front cover, and I realized that there are certain things I should never ever do, like drawing. And which so that book was a mess. It was about my mistakes in real estate, how I lost my first million. And in that book, people the feedback was your cover is terrible and your font is it's it's like a coloring book it's so huge and i went yeah it's meant for like you know the boomers the, the people that have to have cataracts and stuff so they can actually see the book and, and then i realized as i get older hey maybe i wrote that book for me because i need to see bigger fonts so i'm, I'm i kind of maybe did something in advance not really realizing what i was doing you know, no, I, I, well, hey, I mean, from a guy who actually did a coloring book, um, and isn't an artist, but did two books where he drew every picture, including the covers, to show the power of what it is that you can do accomplish, even when you're quote unquote not something. Uh, I can definitely appreciate the fact that, um, you know, you take risks like that. You know, you 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 put yourself out there and you you make yourself vulnerable to the level of like, yeah, your your color your cover sucks. Like, yeah, right. I, I, I know what my cover is and have I considered <laughs> changing them? Yeah, I've considered it, but I haven't because they've done well enough on their, on their own. Well, and it's, it's, it's easy for, for people to be critical and it's easy to be in the stands. And, and when we're, when we decide to be out on the, the stadium floor and we're out there getting ourselves kicked and beaten and everything, it's, it, you know, it's a choice. Where are we going to show up? Are we going to be out there, the anonymous trolls that are on the internet, not really showing up or the ones that are in, in the light. And, and it, it is a choice. It's dangerous and it's super fulfilling. And I, I wouldn't change anything about it. And I have a lot of respect for people that go, that go out there and say, here's who I am. And here's, here's my drawing or here's, here's how, what I think. And I, I tend to be less critical, I think, at this point about people and how they show up when they actually authentically show up than I was in the past before I started sharing because I realized, wow, there's a lot of people that will just crap on you because they can and they have no original thought that they're willing to share. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I exactly, right? Because they, they take uh, what they feel is the professional, but professional can also mean that it's it's not um it's just not the it's it's just not the right thing like it's just not it's just not right for everybody right 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 i mean and the the like the wealth managers i think a lot of those people that you mentioned you were talking about your experience those type of people have good intentions i think there's a lot of good people and 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 yet when you challenge them there's there's this like there's this how could you challenge this this is such a good idea and and I, I do that all the time, and I get I get a lot of pushback from people that are part of that system because that system really serves them. The reality is, it's not serving the people it's supposed to be serving as well. And so, I, I think you just have to understand the perspective of of the messenger and the message, and and under and not, not and not just be so neutral about it. You have to really understand the motivation behind everything. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think they are very well intentioned, and I think that. Um... You know, they they definitely mean well, and they believe in that system. I mean, they're making their money off of that system as well. But so, I mean, it's it maybe a little conflict of interest, but but for the most part, I I think that they really, you know, it works. The thing is, you when you have success in it, right? Like, you know, it might not work for everybody, but if it works for like forty percent of the people, then that's not such a a small amount uh, to begin with, right? Even if it's not sixty or a hundred or the majority of people. Yeah, and 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 the the thing that I think is really important for for everybody to to pay attention to now is that a lot of things that have worked in the past, things are shifting. I mean, just just think about today where we live in this this time of of zero interest rate environment. Where I had I have a client that we were looking at their financials, and I noticed on their monthly statements their interest that they were earning, and they had a million and like two dollars in their account, and they had eight dollars, twenty dollars, twenty two dollars in interest each month, and I went. You got to be kidding me! You did what you're supposed to do. You're 55 years old. You've got your million dollars, and you're 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 earning less than enough to have a latte a week. And so the rules that used to work, because back 30 years ago, if you had a million bucks, you're making 100, 150 thousand dollars in interest. You can probably live on that. Things have changed, and so you can't use the old rules. Even if our parents had some success, say in the markets or or having a mutual fund or whatever, 
if we use those same rules and we don't acknowledge that things have shifted, then we're going to get steamrolled by the current playbook. And that's that's the thing that's really important to acknowledge what's true about today and not think that the past is, is going to happen again in the future. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, you just look at 2008 and, and what happened there and, and you see what's going on now with like the, the same exact things happening in the car market, the used car market. Um, I mean, it's not this, it's not exactly the same because the, the dollar values are different. People don't live in their cars, but it could be, you know, a, a potential domino piece that falls that knocks that, you know, knocks into other things and disrupts the housing market again to some extent. You know, it's it's scary. Uh, you know, for me, it, it was like, eh, you know, whatever, you know, I'm 20, what, 24 or whatever when that happened. So it was like, eh. You know, I was I was at the bottom of the I was at the bottom rung anyway, so it didn't really make a difference. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it it's scary to think that everything that you you have at that point is riding on not just um, your financial advisor who may have your best interest, but people who could care less about you or anybody else um, and are doing it for their their direct their direct direct benefit like more so than like ooh i got my two you know my one and a half percent fee or my you know half a percent fee because i did a good job well yeah and and what's you notice that there's a lot more automation and there's a lot more apps and and they're not just being built from for millennials they're being built to create systems like the just the the way we invest and the and the way we make choices we have artificial intelligence helping us there's no human soul there at all there's there's just an algorithm and so people are now – there is nobody looking out for your best interest. There's just a system where you're plugging in numbers, and you're, you're kind of responsible, and, and you're still reliant on a system. And so we, we've got to be conscious of, of what, what's actually happening. We're, we're thinking, oh, this is great because it's really – it's cute on my phone. But are we really driving the ship? Do we really understand what's going on? I, I know what it's like to get completely plowed by the system. In 2008, I was one of the, I was one of the, the casualties that – I had a $20 million real estate portfolio I'd built up from scratch, and I, I obliterated it. And so I understand what it's like to go through that process, and it, it's, it's painful. And, and so I, you know, there are a lot of people that just went through that process with mutual funds. I did it with real estate, so I had more control. I can only imagine how lame it would be to be in the, in the mutual fund world and, be, and just watch your portfolio lose 50%, 60% of the value and sit in there and your strategy is hopium. It's smoking hopium all day. You know, maybe it will get better. And the reality is it did artificially, and here we are in the same general space with a lot of frothy markets, and, and, and people are thinking everything is good. This, this to me remind, this reminds me a lot of 2008 in 2016. And I think people need to be get, get very clear that this is not normal, that there's a lot of manipulation, and they need to start thinking for themselves and taking control instead of just hoping and, and thinking it'll all be okay because there's been it's been okay for the last few years. You, we need to take responsibility for, for our lives instead of pushing that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, and, and it's always important to remember that, like, just because we, we have new laws and new rules based on what happened before, there's always somebody that's looking to skirt those rules and those laws and they, you know, rules and laws can't keep up with people 24 seven, just like, you know, testing and prodding and looking and hoping for a, for a change, um, or for, for, for an opportunity to, uh, to do something that, that we're supposed to be preventing. No. And, and you mentioned it in one of your previous shows where you were talking about fake people and you mentioned Bernie Madoff. And, and there are a lot of people that look like, hey, they're, they're really smart and they're good at what they do. And, and the reality is there, there's something different below the surface and we don't really see that. And one of the things about these laws is you have to ask yourself, where do these laws come from? Are they just written by people that are have a nonprofit profit kind of heart? Or were they were they written by lobbyists? Were they written by the people that they're supposed to be protecting us from? And, and the truth is, most of the time, these things are written by the industries. So ask yourself: Is that really helping me, or is it helping somebody else? So I think we just need to challenge the what we're being told and think for ourselves a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's I mean, when even when you think back, like because um, cause we can't all just stuff money in our mattresses, right, Damon? No, no. That's that's probably a, a it, that works for I mean it worked at some point when, when you're in a deflation area time that's great you just stuff money in the mattress and then you wake up one day and you got a bunch of money in there and I mean that's I, I guess that worked at some point but now is that really the best strategy no that's there's no thinking involved that's just a scared scarcity mindset that is not going to serve us well we've got to do better than that 
I I would agree. Um, also, check all the lamps and the walls of any of your like grandparents or even parents or great grandparents before you go selling the house or the the lamps or the the backs of uh, old like pic, you know picture frames and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because I had a relative that that passed away a few years ago, and and my siblings literally dismantled his truck because he had cash stuck inside the panels of his pickup truck. I mean, the things that people do—it's like I wouldn't even think of that—and and yet there it was, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars stuck in the side panel. Wow, wow. I mean, that sounds like some like uh, like Mexican drug running or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Damien, uh, let's, let's start with your books, right? When did you, uh, get started writing books? The, the first book that I, uh, that I I wrote back in like 2004 was the Maverick Mistakes in Real Estate. And it's the one that I was laughing about my cover and, and just, cause I actually, I did the cover on PowerPoint. That's how brilliant I was at the time. And it had (laughs) the, the Comic Sans font and, I had no idea what the rules were, and that's kind of how I started uh, my my real estate business, my investing business. I didn't know what the rules were. I was like 22 years old, and I just made up rules. And so that, that's I started writing because when you make up your rules, you tend to make a lot of mistakes. And I I made mistakes that cost tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I thought the more I'm out at seminars and talking to people, the more I realize many people are making the exact same mistakes. And perhaps there's a way where I can, I can give my, the benefit of my mistakes to other people. So that the first book was really just me saying, Hey, here's a common mistake. It cost me 15,000. This one cost 50 and giving those to people. And what I did, what I didn't realize is that I wasn't really learning deep enough on those mistakes, which is what led to the second book reinvented life where it wasn't a million, it was losing a $20 million portfolio. And I went, okay, as part of that process, when that blew up, I decided the only way I'm going to be able to get through this is to start acknowledging the truth. And for several years after that blew up, I just pretended that I was I was innocent, that I didn't do anything wrong, that it was everybody else's fault. I was the king of blame. Like I, I wasn't taking responsibility for like anything. It was everybody else's fault. And at, at one point, I... I kind of got knocked to my knees and and then I had this epiphany when I was fired from a volunteer position on a U.S. Senate campaign in Connecticut. I, I got fired and I pretended that I resigned and I was arguing with people online. And then, then I went, wait a second, this is crazy. I did get fired. Just acknowledge it. It's part of my story and it is the truth and you can't change a lie. So the the moment that, that, that I acknowledged that, I decided I need to do something different and the, the Reinvented Life book – is all about shifting into the truth and get, getting conscious and rewiring internally and and then expressing that externally. So I did a lot of work for a couple of years and then wrote the book. And the book is just it's somebody described it one time as an episode of Breaking Bad, and I, I thought that was kind of funny. And then I realized that was my life. So I, I went, okay, yeah, uh, that's that can happen. And that that was what the the transition was. And then it led into the other more technical books. That was the pivot. For me, the pivotal moment when I said, I'm only going to live in the truth. I'm only going to be self-responsible. I'm going to be transparent. It was that shift that changed everything to where you wouldn't recognize me if you knew me 10 years ago because I was a complete douche back then. And you would have run away. I would run away from me back then. And that's, that's it's an amazing thing when you can tear yourself apart and truly pop out in a different way as, as truth and not as a complete a-hole. Well, I mean, money can have that effect, especially on uh, young men. <laughs> big time, big time, and it's you know it's unfortunate we see it all the time. A lot of times in, with uh, sports players, and they're all this money sh- it gets showered on them. And what you just said is so true. Money just amplifies what's already there, and if you're not clear about what's there, it can it can feed the inner beast, and sometimes in not very pretty ways. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I you know listening, living here in, in Philly, and listening to. Um... One of the local sports talk radio guys who who used to be a player for the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, he's like, look, it took he's like it took me three years of uh, just spending money like crazy before I, I finally realized, like, oh no, I really need to like save some of this and not just be you know waiting for that check to come at the beginning of the of the preseason. Yeah, there, I remember I remember one of the mentors I had who was actually in Austin where I live now. 
and he was mentoring a bunch of us. And I, and I, I like that there's a lot of this mentoring that's starting to happen with these young sports players where they're getting some, some older folks saying, hey, here's some ideas instead of just going out there and having the bling and the shine. My mentor here said, you guys, you're, there's going to come a time where it's not going to be so easy. You're not going to be making 50, 100,000 bucks a week. Like it's going to shift. And all of us were like, yeah, whatever. We're, we're, we're smarter than you were. And he went, I'm telling you. And he had lost 100 million plus in the 80s. And we all just ignored it. And we were all living high. We had our Ferraris. We had our American Express black cards. And we were living it up. And we had, got run over by a train. And that was it was part of our experience. There, the universe has these certain like uh, these certain rules that are consistent all the time, and we we thought we were immune to them for some reason. I I don't think you can turn gravity off, but we did. Yeah. Well, again, being being young, you, you tend to think you're invincible, and and that's mm -hmm. like you know driving like you're invincible and doing things that you wouldn't do probably ten years or fifteen years later, um, because you're invincible. Why why not? Uh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's you're, that is the consistent thing, and, I, and one of the things that I've thought about a lot when I look back is what did what what are the mistakes I made? What could I what would I share? And and so one of the my, one of my colleagues is is in his early twenties. His birthday is actually today, and so I, I'm constantly thinking about what can I share with him that I wish somebody had shared with me and really be a, a, a healthy influence for him and for other people. And one of the things that I realized is I stopped listening to people that were of sound integrity back in my 20s. I all of a sudden became the authority on integrity, which became a huge problem when my, my glands and my hedonistic approach to life were taking over. And so to have somebody and some buddies around us that we respect and will actually pay attention to can shortcut and at least maybe soften some of those major catastrophes. And I think that that's a, a, a great way to start is just finding that somebody that we really look up to that's been there, not just a coach, but really somebody with gray hair or like me, like no hair, you know, somebody that <laughs> is, has been out there and, and has the scar tissue. I mean, that's, that's, in, that's invaluable. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I am curious though. Uh, so you grew up in Alaska, right? I did. Yeah. Uh, what, like what town in the, or city in Alaska? Uh, or city. Or they're, they're most, I was going to say they're mostly villages, Joe. There's like you know, there's eight, more than eight people, and it's a, it's a thriving metropolis, and and you're outnumbered by moose and bears. But I was I was outside of Anchorage in Eagle River, a little bedroom community by the military bases. Oh, okay, all right, cool. So, um, and what what like what age did you wind? Or I mean, do you still live in Alaska now? No, I, I left there about seven minutes after my seventeen or after I graduated high school. So when I was seventeen, I, I took off. And the the Alaska is an amazing place to visit. It's just a brutal place to live because it's so disconnected from everything. And so I, I left and and moved down to the states, and and now I live in Austin. Oh, okay, all right. So yeah, I I, I so you pretty much grew up your entire life in Alaska. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I knew. That was normal. In fact, I remember the Fourth of July, my freshman year in high school, and we we did a family trip. I think it was the only family trip we ever took. We left Alaska. We go to Montana, and I I remember looking up, and I was mesmerized by by these fireworks. And people are looking at me like I was crazy. And I go, "You don't understand. In Alaska, the Fourth of July, it's like light out at eleven o'clock. So you hear the fireworks, but you don't really see them. And so my reality was fireworks were more like a sound and and in Montana I actually got to see something so it's it's funny what we get used to are normal and then when you move out of that environment you're like whoa the world is so different over here yeah so i mean like living in in what like 6 months of light a year or something like that yeah, the, it was it was really really light for a yeah. I mean, it could be there, there was a peak season like June to August where it was it was easily light out twenty hours a day. I mean, there was dusky, but it was really light. It was not half and half. And of course, the the winter was when you go to school, the sun comes up, sun goes down, you go home. You don't even see the sun until Saturday and Sunday, pretty much. So oh, wow, you, yeah, that, that, that'll make you nuts. <laughs> I I hear that. Um... So, well, well, first I want to ask you how how did your family take you wanting to leave? I I think that they they were pretty traditional in in that it, the next step was was college, so it was uh, and I wanted to to go somewhere, so I I did the traditional go to college. I got an ROTC scholarship. My dad was military, so I was kind of according to the path I was going down that path, and it was very safe, very secure, and there was a pension coming, so in my in my parents' mind, at least my dad's mind, this was a good idea. 
And it, it was not, there was nothing really scary about it. I think what got scary is when I said, I'm dropping out of college, I'm going to work in the Arctic Circle washing dishes, and I'm going to be a stock market trading machine. And my dad went, what in the world are you doing? And that was, that's what scared them. It was not, it was not necessarily leaving. <laughs> so wait, I, I'm guessing they're not, um, they're not native to Alaska, your parents? No, my the, my dad was originally from New York City. My mom was from Montana, like a little teeny itty bitty town in Montana. So they were they were from opposite sides of the world, and Alaska seemed like a good place to go. They they moved up there, and when I was two, <laughs> very cool, very very cool. Um, how did they take it when you started writing books and then started to take writing books more seriously? Well, I I remember when they were talking about this. Uh, it, it, when when I I wrote the first one that that was uh, read by either one of them was reinvented life. And the thing that came up for them and, and my mom shared this with me was she just she was surprised at how little she knew. And that's one of the things when you write a book about your story and you put it out there and people read it that thought that they were really close to you, you get different emotions. She she asked me point blank, how come you never shared this stuff with me? Because it was a really, really painful time and very dark time. And, and I said, I don't know. What would I have told you? There's no way that you could relate to this. And, and to her credit, she would have loved on me. She would have been there to at least listen, to tell me that she was with me instead of me thinking I was all by myself and maybe the world could be, would be better off without me. And, and so there was that whole like shocking revelation or realization that I had gone through this total nightmare and had this crazy life beforehand because I was pretty disconnected. So you, you do get people looking at you a little funny in your family when you write a story, kind of a tell-all story, and they really didn't know who you were until they read it. Yeah, no, I, I could I could definitely see that. I mean, um, I don't think I don't think I've had that effect with my books, but my books were pretty positive. <laughs> positive so um well and and that was that was part of the what the point with reinvented life it was to share these experiences and it, it wasn't just to scare the crap out of everybody but it was really to give them tools so throughout the book there's there's a piece at the very end of each chapter with questions and ideas so i'm i'm doing my best to not only say this is a stephen king novel but hey there's an opportunity to do some use the, the things I've learned and rewire and rewrite your life. So it was hopefully some positive and not just a, a train wreck. I mean, there's a lot of train wreck, but there's also a lot of opportunity to, to grow inside the book too. <laughs> so what's the, what's been the biggest roadblock for you, Damien? I, I think I'm, I'm susceptible like, like a lot of us are to seeing so many opportunities and, and jumping around. I've, I've been doing, I, I've done that for, for many years. I, I didn't do it so much in real estate. I mostly just focused on, on my thing. The place I got in trouble was when I decided to take on the, the whole, the whole country and I expanded into seven States. And so I was jumping and, and it was my, my ego took over. And, and so the ego was one of the big ones, the big roadblocks that knocked me off my focus. And then more and more, there's just, there's so many really interesting opportunities. And my curiosity piece goes, Ooh, squirrel, Ooh, shiny object. And I just, I go running after them, or at least I had until I got narrowly focused on my why, because so many things have great potential. And, and if we're not focused, it was, it was like Jessica talking about building up a seven uh, Jessica Rhodes that you had on a, on a show. And she was talking about one of her dreams is to create a seven figure business. And that's totally possible. And it, it's doable if we're focused. It's the, the great mistake is saying, okay, I'm going to set up a real estate business, an online marketing company, a network marketing company. I'm going to sell things door to door. I'm going to do Cutco all at the same time. And I'm going to have a full-time job and thinking you're going, to, you're going to get any traction. You've got to get narrowly focused and go deep into it and become something that matters, some voice out there that really is paid attention to and get that traction. And so the roadblock is getting knocked off that. It's it's maintaining that where the, all the power and juice is. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, building one brand at a time is, is – especially if you don't have a ton of money to start is uh, super difficult, right? Building two is – I mean, next to impossible, right? And then three or four or five, like, you know, it, it really, it's funny because for me, like, I don't, with this show, I'm not very niched, right? Like, it's, we're business lessons for, for people, from the people who live their dreams, but it's, we're, we're interviewing like so many different people in so many different fields and so many different backgrounds and so many different industries and, and all of that. And, um, and there is a bit of inspiration in there as well, it, or actually quite a bit of inspiration there as well. 
But it's just interesting um, the the effect that I had on myself, like when you were saying all that um, about you know trying to build like four different businesses or five different businesses at once, and not and them not being connected. Um, you know, I I. Uh, I think I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know when, oh, when you're oh, doing that. Oh, I got, I got, I got. It. Hold on, I got, I got. So, right. so the, at the beginning of 2016, that's when I took all of the different sites that I had, all the different services that I had, and brought them under one roof. The mm-hmm. the current website that I use. So, um, so yeah. So, and it was like, hey, because I could do all of this and build it under one brand, which is a lot easier to do than trying to build, like, try to build it under four different brands because trying to get people to care about more than one thing at a time is really difficult unless, you know, money is that X factor, right? Like if you have a ton of money, you can either employ people to help or you can pay for, you know, extra ads. You can pay for that publicity and you can make all that happen. But if you don't have all that money, but try to build one. And if you're doing more than one thing, make sure they tie into each other really, really well so that they're benefiting, you know, they're benefiting from each other. Yeah, Joe, you're that's that is such a common mistake, and people here and we've we've read uh, like Robert Allen's multiple streams of income, we've and we get all these ideas, and we want to have. I had like seven different businesses about a year ago that I was toying with and playing with, but you don't. There's no traction there, and the idea with with multiple brands and, and extensions is that that's great. Once you what you just said, once you've got something that you've got momentum with, it's Richard Brand. R- Richard Branson has um, has the Virgin brand, and he's able to go into all these things. He didn't start with 57 different companies. He started with with one thing and built momentum. And then when he had cash and he had the resources, he extended. And that's that's really that's that's the key. It's it's getting something going and then it being able to extend out. It's not extending out to start with because then you're really shallow and you just bounce off and, and nobody really cares. Right, right, definitely. So, yeah, it is it is important to not compare yourself to those people that have all those businesses and all that. Like, you know, being a, you know, you watch like Shark Tank and they're like, oh, it's, you know, a marketing brand expert. It's like, well, yeah, because they've done it a bunch of times, but at the same time, like, now it's a lot easier because they have the money to invest to make things happen quicker and to make things happen um, more, you know, a higher success rate of of sticking in a market. Right, right. Warren Buffett talks about this a lot where he, he talks about putting all of your eggs in one basket and then focusing on this basket narrowly. And what, what does Berkshire Hathaway have? A handful of companies that they're really, really focused on and they won't go and buy another company just to deploy assets. They'll have tens of billions of dollars in cash just waiting. And if we will allow ourselves to be a little bit patient, sometimes we can, we, we can, we'll, we'll be ready for the thing that we should go after when, when we're ready to go after. In the meantime, just focus on the one thing and be really, really protective of it and grow yourself around that one thing and nurture it until it's able to be on its own, not prematurely. I mean, you can't, can't launch a business and then walk away a year later. It's like having a, a child and saying, good luck, go into the woods. You're two years old. I'm sure you'll be fine. Like that's going to die. You can't do that. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. And and even with that said, having bringing everything under one website, I still have my conference, yes. and that so I'm really building two brands at the same time, myself and and the conference. The good thing is, is the conference is only once a year, so so it's like there's a lot of work that goes in between. But I, you know, I'm still the driving force behind that as well. So they do really work together, um, just not directly, if you will. Yeah, there. And this is this is one. I think a lot of times people have this conflict where they're they're thinking about building something they start something and the question is am i going to build me or am i going to build this brand and it's easier to build us because we're a voice than it is a brand the brand is scalable potentially far more than we are as individuals so there there can be a conflict where we don't know where to put our energy and effort and sometimes we just have to be kind of the spokesperson for the brand so that we're, there's a human being there and kind of simultaneously do this but we almost be, have to become the brand at the same time yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, but at a certain, you know, at a certain level, it's like, well, you know, you can't sell yourself. Like, you wouldn't right. want to sell your name. I mean, there's been people that have done that. They've sold their name, and they, most of them that I know of, you know, sorely wished that they did not. Um, no doubt. Right, because you don't know what 10 years from now is going to bring. But you do know that, like, 
you're still that person and that you can still go and do other things, but you get at that point, you need to make people believe that you can. So that's where it's like, if you, you know, if you get successful to the point where you have the money, then you can start to help other people with those or brands or build more brands. It, you know, it really comes back to money. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. Um, once you get past that initial, like nurturing what you have, what you do have, right? Like taking a, a good assessment of the money and the things and the assets and the, the direction and, and the vision that you have for what you want to do. Once you get past that part, like down the road, that's where like, okay, well money can really help. And that's where if you did it right with the one, um, you can start to, to learn. Cause again, just because you've built one brand doesn't necessarily mean that you have the formula for every brand and every vision and everybody else and the answer for everybody else. That that that's right, and you really have to be able be willing to disrupt your thinking. I, I talk about this a lot in my own head and with my team and people thinking about looking at whatever you're doing and and asking the question. When you you do 10x thinking, you think about how can I disrupt this? What would this look like if it was 10 times bigger or it was 10 times different? And and constantly doing that. So 10 years is it. I can't imagine what we'll be looking at in 10 years. I, yeah, it's, it's unlikely it's going to look very familiar compared to today. So the, the one constant is the, the ability to adapt means everything. And, and if you don't have that, if we're stuck in whatever our brand is or who we are or how we think today, we might be in a lot of trouble in a few years if we're not willing to kind of adjust and, and go with the flow because the world is, I mean, it is going exponential. So that's a, that's a huge part of, of doing it in advance instead of waiting for something external to disrupt us, to start 10x thinking and then disrupt us early. It's why, why big companies are constantly asking, what do we need to do? Apple does this all the time. How are we going to cannibalize our current thing and make the next thing so that somebody doesn't do it? So Samsung doesn't do it. We want to make it better and kill this thing off now. And we have to do that for our own brands and our own businesses. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Damien, what was your childhood dream growing up? I wanted to be an astronaut, man. I wanted to see things from space. Maybe I felt like I was already in space being in Alaska, but I really wanted to be one of those guys up in, in the space shuttle. And the crazy thing is that's actually going to happen where I'm going to be able to do that. And it's it's not because I'm going to go to NASA. It's because that's happening from innovators and entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these people that are focusing on space. So I'm pretty excited. That's actually going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, 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 it's it's it is a pretty incredible thing. So, um, well, you know, living in in Alaska, did you get the feeling that you that you were living something that like was special, like that I would consider special? Like, not many people get to say they grew up in Alaska. No, it's it's true, and I think there there's a shift. When I was there, it was the normal, and when I left, I look back at it with a lot more gratitude because I didn't understand how unique that was. That most times when I say I'm from Alaska and I grew up there. People say, I've never known anybody from Alaska. I sure haven't known anybody that's grown up there. So I didn't get that until I left it. And that's one of the, the lessons is that we often don't understand what we have. It's like relationships or wealth. We don't really appreciate it until we're on the other side of it. And so now I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for my parents being what they were to shift us up there and, and allow me to have that experience. I, it's an amazing thing to come from. I just didn't get it when I was in the middle of it. Mm. Oh, that's understandable. I mean, you're you're a kid and you grew up, and you know, did you did you take vacations anywhere? Uh, not. I mean, the the one vacation I think we took was was to Montana, and and that was. I mean, it really, we didn't do vacations. It was just it's so far removed. It was basically staying at home, staying in the yard, and and it was a pretty pretty isolated or pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was. It, there wasn't much movement outside of our little bunker or our little dome. Oh wow. Now, Damien, what do your dreams for the future look like? My, my dreams are, are really to get people out of this space of, of fear and scarcity, to break people out of the Wall Street jail. That's, the, that's the, the narrow focus on just the money piece. But what it is, it's, it's a bigger vision to where people live freely and they're not feeling like there's, there's a, a scarce future, that they, they literally have control. I'm a big fan of Peter Diamandis and his books, Abundance and Bold, and the thinking that the future is so much bigger. And it's not just maybe it'll happen. It is happening. The question is, are we going to engage with it? And so my dream is to help people bridge from where they are, get clear on where they are, and build, help build a roadmap and a path to where they feel like, hey, I've got the confidence. I could actually go through this thing and show up here and be able to run my, my, my future. I can be the driver 
driver. I don't have to be in the passenger seat or the back seat and definitely not in the trunk of this vehicle that's my life. I want to be able to be in the, in the front seat. So my job, everything I do, all the teaching, the books, the businesses is to help people get in that driver's seat so that they can move forward, pushing the gas as hard as they want to push it, steering left or right, but they're choosing because it's their life. Yes, I couldn't agree more and I and I actually have found myself saying it more and more lately that, you know, even though I've struggled uh for for like the first year and a half to 2 years of of doing this show and building a a brand and all um and a lot of people didn't understand it. My point to them was uh well two points. One, if you're if you're if I was going to school, the first question you'd ask me is not how much money are you making? Uh because you, you know, you're constantly learning when you're doing something like this. And the second part is, is every day that I live doing what it is that I want to do, how I want to do it on my own terms, that's one less day I have in general. Like, I don't, there's no like bonus life at the end, you know? So it's like, hey, if I spent two years and yeah, I struggled a little bit with money here and there, but you know, I made it work and, and I enjoyed what I did and I got to meet tons of people from like all around the globe. Um, that's two years less that I have to worry about on the back end of my life, right? Yeah, Joe, I, I, there was something that, that I really loved in terms of what you were you said on a, another show, and it relates to this, and you were talking about consuming content versus you showing up and, and creating, you're, you're doing your thing, you're living this life on purpose, and, and then you've, and you've got hobbies, you're, you're into tech, and, and you have this, this life you're living. And the reason that that really resonated with me and with what you're saying now is that I remember sitting across from my father a few years ago. It was about two months before he passed away. And we were sitting there, and he looked at me, and he said, there were just so many things that I wanted to do. And it killed me. It broke my heart because he was looking at me, and I saw what regret looked like. I saw what somebody that had things that they'd never – they just weren't willing to go out and live and go for it. There was this this fear of making a mistake or being timid or not being in the driver's seat. It was being in the back seat with so many things. And if there's one thing that I would hope for for people, it's to get in the driver's seat, figure out how to drive, whatever it takes – and truly do it and, and not don't ever wake up going, oh, man, there are so many things that I wanted to do. You want to wake up and have your last day, your last breath where you look back and go, holy crap, that was spectacular. No regrets. Well, uh, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear about your the passing of your father. I mean, I, you said it was uh, two, two years ago? It was, uh, it was almost three years ago. Three so years it was, ago. yeah, a few years ago. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you're, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I mean, that's – the, the the whole regret thing is is really real and yeah. uh it's not something that i want to it doesn't mean i go jumping out of planes or anything but it means that i live a life that i see fit for myself yes. and how i want and you know help other people in my case help other people figure out what it is that they want in life to go live it you know i some people have sometimes mistaken that i'm like you know especially since i recently took a, a position at a a nonprofit like oh no you're you you got a job like that's so not what you're supposed to be doing and i'm like but i'm happy doing it like yes. <laughs> that's the important that's the important part right we're supposed yeah, to be happy man. i mean if we're not happy doing it then yeah you need to like go you need to figure it out real quick and go go do something else but, you know, if you're happy with what you're doing, even if it is a nine-to-five job, if it is that, you know, I, I don't want to say ignorance is, is bliss, but if it, if that is, you know, in your in, in their case, it's probably not ignorance at that point. But if, if what it is, the path that they're on is where they want to be and how they want to be there, then that's, then that's fine. Like, by, by me, that's fine, right? Like, that's, that's okay. But they have to understand the risks, too, of A, regret – uh, be you know in your in your case when you talk about like money, Damien, that it's, this isn't like a security blanket. This isn't like oh you're gonna get paid no matter what. Like there's gonna be the money that you put there no matter what, um, unless you you know stash it in your 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 house somewhere. But but even then, like hey, your house could burn down. And then where are you? Right. And, and what what are you left with? You're, you're left with what you what you're doing and who you are and and your confidence to create it again. And, and that's one of the it's one of the craziest things I've seen repeatedly with people where they they save up all this money and then they go now if I lose it I'm screwed. So they get super scared and they basically get paralyzed. And what I typically will will go back to is 
is the idea that if you had – if let's just pretend you had $20 million or $200 million, what would you do tomorrow? What would you spend your time doing? And if you can figure out how to do that today, you're going to care less and less about having all that money to give you that freedom or that happiness. And the idea that if you have a job that that's stupid or it's a waste of time, I think that that's foolish. The question is what are you giving your life for? And if you're giving your life for something that matters and it's and you love it, then the money will take care of itself. I truly believe that. And I, I think anybody that says otherwise that it's just about the money is, is really ignorant. I think they're missing the boat, the whole point of life. I, I can, a, a few people come to mind, Damien, a few people come to <laughs> mind. Uh, but, but I, you know, those few people, I think as time has gone on, I think they've realized, um, you know, they've watched me and they watched me do it. And, and I think they are, they've come to a realization as well that, it doesn't not like none of this really really matters and and all we can do is just do what makes us happy and you know if i mean money's great right like like i used to have this conversation with a friend of mine he's like oh well you know if you had all the money in the world and we were talking about like well what tech would you buy like and i mean this goes back in like we're talking like 2005 right 2006 and i'm like i don't know like i i still I enjoy doing the research to find which one best suits my needs and is the best, you know, m- m- most well rated. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, there's eight new smartphones that just came out. Well, then why don't I just buy all of them and try it out? Because I have unlimited funds. Like to me, that would be a like that'd be a waste when I could just do a couple Google searches and find out what the the pros and cons are and get the best experience and get on with my life. Right. That's it. That's totally it. Uh, and the best value, right? Like, so, cause yeah, like, yeah. it doesn't have to be the most expensive one to be the best one. It just has to be the one that meets what I want. Now that doesn't necessarily mean now. I, and I've met people over the years that were like, well, why do you need a razor that has five blades or four blades on it? It's like, cause, cause I, I don't know. This is what they sell. I, you know, I still got to <laughs> shave, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's funny because I remember thinking at the time back in the in the two thousands when I was building up all this this money and this wealth and and my ego was growing and I bought my Ferrari and I was so nervous I was always driving around armed I was afraid I was going to be carjacked and and I was very insecure this whole process and I remember when I I got my hybrid SUV that blended in with a million other ones and I was so much happier and the the car that cost ten times as much made me ten times more unhappy. And, and I, I think, okay, it's not about the money. There, it's what resonates with us. And I like my four-bladed razor more than I would a single. I don't like the Ferrari more than I did my hybrid SUV. So I think we just have to be really present to how does it, how, how does it make us feel? Like what, what's really right for us? And it's not just about the money thing. It's, it's about being present with whatever it is. Wow, man. Driving around armed because you're afraid you're going to get carjacked. That – you know, I think that, you know. I never, ne- I, yeah, that never really even occurred to me that that would be like a thought that would come into the mind of somebody. You know, I, and I was actually I was driving to work the other day and I seen a purple NSX, like a new, like one of the new NSXs, and I mean it stands out, like, mm-hmm. like I mean it stands out a lot, uh, and I love it. It's great, you know, it's great looking, it's awesome. Um, but now I'm wondering, like, man, I wonder if that guy was armed. I mean, we live in Jersey where it's not as yeah, gun laws are, are a lot tighter here in Jersey than it's in, say, Pennsylvania. But yeah, that's that's wow. You you, you get you get nervous about going and getting gas. And if I man, I, I, if I was in Jersey with with a Ferrari or an NSX, I'm pretty sure I'd have a couple of machine guns next to me and and bulletproof. I mean, I would wear sometimes a bulletproof vest. I mean, it was ridiculous the amount of brain damage involved just to drive a car. And then the amount of resources that are wasted because it, it's expensive. Every time a light goes on in the car, it's 10000 bucks. But just the brain damage and the emotional waste that you go through thinking, is this person walking up to me to say nice car or are they about to pull a knife on me? Like that is always in mind and everywhere I park. Is this thing going to get dinged? Is that going to cost me $10,000? bucks? i am there's this paranoia. There's no calm. It's anxiety all over the place. So I'm good. I'm glad I had the experience. Don't need it. Not part of my vision board it's it's great to experience those things to understand what they are so that we really get it i know what that's like i don't want it again wow yeah yeah i don't i don't blame you i don't blame you at all um and actually maybe it makes more sense than why some of these higher end cars that aren't like sports exotic cars um they do kind of just blend in because you know uh, the difference between like an a8 and uh 
you know, like a smaller car is like, okay, it's, it's longer, but it, it even, and it is really nice inside. It has all these awesome features, but it's not flashy. Right. That's, it's funny you mentioned that one because I remember seeing the movie Ronin and I saw the S8, the, the supercharged one, and I started investigating and I realized it had a Lamborghini engine in it at the time. And I went, wow, that thing totally blends in and yet it's got 400 horsepower. So if I wanted to get up and go with the car, if I was going to get one now, it would be a car like that that blends in next to a Toyota pretty much. And, and then I can actually enjoy it versus being on the edge all the time. And I, I think one of the lessons that I've learned in, about cars or uh, these type of things is that it's really, really powerful to go test them, to try before we buy, to really see what the experience is and ask ourselves, do we want to own that thing? Because oftentimes these things begin to own us. And so if we just try them, maybe a day or two of whatever that experience is, is enough and we're complete with it. Maybe we don't have to invest our entire lives in owning that thing and then being dominated by it. I would totally agree. Yeah, if you got that kind of money, why not rent it for a day or a week or a month and see if you really, really like it? If you even even use the thing, exactly. Right? Um, I know a fr- a good friend of mine. He he. Uh, whenever he he needs to rent a car or needs like a ride somewhere, he actually rents a Phantom. And yeah. I said, "How much does that cost?" He's like, "Well, for like like one to three hours is like five hundred dollars, but if you want it for the whole day, it's like three grand." And I was like, "Huh." I was like three grand actually for a whole day. If you if you really had like somebody you had to wow, right? Like like a client or something like that. Like it kind of makes sense. Like I could totally. That's not super expensive. It's expensive, but it's not like ten grand a day, you know, or fifteen. I mean, I guess everything's relative, right? But but to me, it's like ah, well, you know, if you're gonna spend five hundred for one or one to three hours, why wouldn't you just run it for a day at that point? Well, and you, you, you get the coolest part is that if you if you fall in love with it, then maybe it really is for you. Maybe you do want to end up having one of those things where it's your daily driver. Maybe you want to spend five or ten years building up your wealth for that thing. Or you go, hey, that's cool. It's 500 bucks, and I don't need to spend $400,000 for this car or spend – the bigger thing is waiting 10 or 15 years and thinking about this thing for that period of time. That's I think that's what, what drains people. They're focusing on something like I'm going to retire and have this cool car. They get to that point, they're like, the car's not that cool, but I spent all these years thinking about it. Let's let's see if it's real. Right. Well, I mean, I I, I guess I should add that he has a driver, so that's he's also not, nice. Yeah. So that's also <laughs> why it's probably so much money as well. Is is the driver aspect of it? So you have a driver plus a, a Phantom is you know three thousand dollars for a day. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, again, this doesn't, especially if you were like renting it to like split it like two or three ways like that, you know, okay. A thousand bucks for a day. But if you, you, you pick a day that it means something, you know what I mean? Like, like for a wedding or, or, you know what I mean? Like you, you don't just every time or every day I go to work, I get a driver and it's got, I gotta be driven in a phantom. Yeah, that that may who shoot that may work for somebody. I know this. There was a guy that I knew about that had a Phantom, and they bought it as a company expense, and they that was their office. So they always had transportation everywhere they went, and they had a pretty lush office that they worked out of. I mean, it was a crazy concept, but for them it worked. So I mean, I guess they just reinvented the idea of a mobile office. <laughs> no, I love that, um, Damien. Before we wrap up and let people know how they can connect with you online. Um, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share? Biggest thing that I would share with, with everyone is to remember that when we're whatever we're doing, that that these mistakes that we make, that we go through, they're not failures unless they're not admitted. And and we have to remember that our life is about growing, because if we stop growing, we're dying. And the universe gives us these opportunities to grow through those mistakes. And the more of those we make, the more that we can potentially grow. And I would just, I would encourage everyone to keep that in mind instead of going into the fetal position on the floor, sucking our thumb, hoping that nothing happens bad because we make a mistake and really embrace the idea of growing through those mistakes. Couldn't agree more. Keep learning or if if you're not learning, then you're, you're, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. That's it. Damien, how can people connect with you online and get your, all your books? Best place to go is for all the books and just reach out and connecting with what we're doing. Go to DamienLupo.com. There's there's links to the business and the books, and and you can follow me on, on Twitter at hashtag 10xthinking, and I'd, I'd love to connect with people. Pretty much anybody that reaches out, you're going to get a video reach back, so prepare to see me showing up in Technicolor on your, your feed. <laughs> Damien, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really have uh, had a great time chatting with you and learning. And uh, 
it's just it's just been awesome thank you so much for reaching out to be a guest as well um to on the show it's 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 awesome that you uh found me how did you find the show anyway if you yeah, recall. I, I got I got to blame Jessica. Jessica teed us up. So Jessica Rhodes is a badass, and she did this. So thank you, Jessica. I, it's you know it's it's amazing to have the universe kind of putting pieces together. I asked for amazing places to go share and connect with amazing people, and Jessica put us together. So Joe, I, I appreciate what she did. I, I I've had fun here. I think we could probably go on for hours and and totally hang out. So I, this has been a blast, man. Oh, we definitely could, and and I would love to if I didn't have to go uh, take uh, family photos for the holiday season. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I uh, I'd love to have you on the show again, Damien, um, and and I look forward to it. I look forward to it too. It'll be it'll be great. I, I appreciate the time and and everything you're doing to to connect people and and share their messages and share your message. It's 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 pretty freaking awesome, man. Keep doing the good work. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you one last time for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dreamers Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dreamers Podcast. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dreamers Podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to j at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.